welcome chris in this guest room that i have <laughs> so i uh, invite all of the guests here and i like invite interesting people and i want to have i wanted to have this, these interesting conversations with people so i thought uh, you know like uh, a podcast or a youtube series would be a really good excuse so welcome okay. here <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having me happy to be here uh here's the very first question that i have started asking most of my guests and i really really love this question how would how would a loved one introduce you personally and professionally wow a loved one introduce me uh you know i guess if i'm thinking about how my wife would introduce me she would probably say like you know he, here's my my husband chris uh he he's a really interesting guy. Uh he has a lot of hobbies. He he does a lot of things. He's a he's a thinker. He's really creative. Uh yeah, he works in marketing, but he does a bunch of other things professionally. Um you know, he, he's always working on new projects and he's a really interesting guy to talk to. <laughs> uh I don't know why I feel but why I feel this way, but I guess I have like 100% of the same personality as you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I belong to marketing background. I have a lot of hobbies. I'm an interesting person to talk yeah. to. That's what I think. Uh, and what what would she tell like uh, who are you professionally? One thing is marketer. What else? Yeah, I mean professionally, she would probably say, you know, he's he's worked in a number of uh, of interesting uh, industries. you know we we both work in the bay area so tech kind mm-hmm. of always comes up like yeah you know he, he kind of works in the tech field um and and i think that i she would probably say that he's really interested in in new technology and and new companies and, and sort of the the future of, of a lot of industries so uh i don't she would not describe me as sort of a traditionalist or somebody who who works in in uh, you know traditional industry i i'd say she would describe me as somebody who's who's always looking to do something new uh, always looking for the the next kind of big big thing to to associate myself with interesting and uh, so are you a marketer from your education background as well yeah yeah i uh, i have a, a degree and i guess the, the broad degree of communications with a, a concentration in uh, creative advertising uh, and then I, i got a masters in integrated marketing communications so yes uh, in that world um, but you know it's it's sort of a, a wide range of things you can do with a degree like that so it's uh, sort of opens up a lot of doors but you know sometimes too many options when uh, when you just talk about like the wide range of like marketing and communications yeah that could kind of be anything and uh, so tell me about one uh, project where you like you really 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 enjoyed that one project or something in your workspace yeah got kind of hard to pinpoint one specific project but i You know, I was working at a company called Creative Live which was in the sort of edtech uh marketplace just live streaming education content and while working there I I realized that I I I loved education it kind of instilled this this lifelong learning in me and it it's still still with me to this day but you know hard to pinpoint one specific uh project at that company because really every week was an entirely new a new project we would work with different um creators and instructors and teachers from all around the world they would come into our studio here in San Francisco and they would teach a course so each week was kind of a brand new thing like one week i was learning about 
you know, uh, how to market on YouTube. And one week I'm learning about how to make a quilt. And, you know, one week I'm learning about like Photoshop. And so uh, I'd say that like in general, that was sort of a, that whole process of working at that company was a big project. Every week was something new that we were doing. Uh, I'd say that the specific, we would do larger, um, you know, like themed weeks, we would do things like podcasting week, we would do Photoshop mm. week, and where we would just kind of focus in on one topic for a particular week and have just a revolving door of instructors that we were working with. And, and those projects always felt the most satisfying when we just got so much done in a, in a short amount of time and created some really compelling content that helped a lot of people learn new skills. So I guess any project where I'm helping people learn something new is always going to be enjoyable for me mm, super interesting uh what did you enjoy so if if you have to talk about one week so you know like as you mentioned one week was for creating a podcast or one week one week was for you know like your youtube channel stuff like that uh what's something that you'd want to do first if you you know like you'd have to do it again well, it's funny because the company was actually started for photographers and I'm not really much of a photographer. I don't know. Like I, I don't uh, ask my wife, like she'll ask me to take photos of her and she'll be like, what were you even looking at? This is terrible. So I bring that up because <laughs> a, a lot of the courses were, uh, were, were based around photography and it's, uh, ah. it was sort of a, an industry that I didn't know very well. But in particular, one project that was that was really amazing that kind of challenged me in a number of ways was was uh, working with a photographer who who he, he categorized his work as sort of street photography. But he would go into a lot of um, you know challenging situations. He would he would go into you know homeless encampments. He would go into uh, you know hospitals, war zones. He would go to really like challenging areas to take photographs. And we were sort of pressed with the, the task of like, well, how do you teach a skill like taking photographs of like really challenging subjects? And you know. Uh, basically what we did was we were going all around the city of Seattle and looking for for photograph opportunities for for people who um, you know maybe wouldn't consider themselves to typically be a subject of a, of a photograph but it, yeah. it was just a challenge um, to, to try to find a way to explain something that you know is basically like an art when you ask an artist to kind of teach their their trade it, it's really difficult yeah. for them sometimes it's like it's you know they just say it comes from the heart or i was born with this it's like you can't teach this so anytime that you're trying to teach an art to someone i think that that's a a fun challenge that i like to take on and and so i could also recall the moments you know like where i was like totally not familiar with an industry but because i worked in a job where i you know where it was a demand that that skill set so for six months, I worked in a company uh, where I was an influencer marketing manager. So mm -hmm. my area of uh, job profile was specific to dealing with influencers, creating influencer campaigns and executing them and all that stuff. And it was for a, a women lifestyle and fashion brand. Mm -hmm. And obviously <laughs> being a cis straight guy, I did, I like had no idea about the kind of purses there are, you know, or the kind yeah. of <laughs> different even shades there are you know stuff like that and now i know the difference between a sling bag and a tote bag and a what are stellatos <laughs> what is baby pink and <laughs> just professional that's <hazard>. great 
Yeah, I mean, I my my current role that I do now, I you know, I work in influencer marketing now, and I can understand. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm really familiar with that topic because I will often work with say like a, a YouTube channel or a podcast on a subject that I know nothing about, and sometimes it is like like you're saying a, a very female focused channel, or yeah, or or sometimes it's like. Uh, a very specific genre of like gaming or like I, yeah a lot of the channels are dedicated to like specific games that I've never played it's like well, I don't really know this I don't get it I know I'm not the audience but I think and you probably experienced this as well it's like well you know if, if it's your job to just sort of make this happen you have to figure out a way to to put yourself in that perspective try to understand the the audience and and just make it happen you don't have to love the content you just have to know you have to understand it somewhat and i have this kind of an opinion that if you are really curious about life you know or anything like if you are really curious in your nature marketing is a really great field for you yeah because you get to learn a lot about different kind of products sure sure yeah yeah and you know like we say marketing kind of covers so many different types of of work but but yeah, I mean, in order to, to help sell something or to promote something, you need to understand it as best you can. And, you know, I, I with, with like influencer marketing in particular, a lot of times you are connecting this influencer with a product or a brand or something. And you need to, to make sure that they understand it because if they don't, like people can see right through that. Like if they're promoting yeah. a game that they've never played or a product that they've never used, the chances of success for that are gonna be really small. So it's like you as the marketer need to understand it, but whoever is actually going to be the, the face of it, or who's going to be promoting it, they, they surely need to understand it. And uh, so what's something that you didn't know before doing this influencer marketing for others? Well, I guess I just didn't realize, maybe this is naive and I know that this stuff is like grows so quickly, but like the, the level of sort of specificity to, to certain channels or creators like just that idea of like all right we know like niching down like like really far but but yeah the way that people can get so creative with like the specific areas that they're focusing on i think mm. that that just sort of blows my mind and not that they're doing it but that the audience is that big you know it's like okay if you're going to talk about this super specific topic that's great it's a passion project that's wonderful but but you know th these people are, are making careers on this and there, there's there's revenue there there's income that's available in these very specific unique areas of, of interest and i find that fascinating and sort of you know empowering for these creators it's amazing that that they're able to to do this and to find their their audience you know that, that's very specific so I, I love that about the industry and uh, so my area of focus not area of focus but my speciality was in negotiation i like I'm still really good in negotiation. And so it was really fascinating for me <laughs> to see how I got an influencer who had, you know, like, let's say 5,000 followers for $10 per post. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I could get an influencer who had like 15,000 followers for the same rate, like $10. Yes. So, <laughs> and you know, like, it's again, amazing. It, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of the same thing that, not necessarily who is charging the most needs to be the best coach. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm, I don't know, I, I guess I'll say fortunate to not really work in that part of the business. I don't typically have to do a whole lot of negotiation. I'm usually working with uh, the folks after they've already agreed to the negotiation and, and they're just ready to start working on things. But, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a delicate balance of, uh, of trying to figure that out and knowing what the right amount is and, and to, to make sure that you're, you're getting what, what, you know, what you paid for. Thank you, Chris for uh, you know, sharing your experience around marketing specifically. And I'm really curious uh, about uh, your coaching journey so far, because uh, we have been a part of, uh, you know, building our coaching business cohort from coach.me. And that's how I know you, obviously. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So how's your coaching journey so far? Yeah, it, it's been a long journey. Uh, I I started working as a, a coach on Coach.me back in the early days, and I think when they were still going by the original name Lyft before they switched over to Coach.me. And yeah, I remember just getting connected with with Coach Tony and just kind of hearing about him, you know, putting this company together, and was super interested in it. And yeah, it was one of the early coaches. And I you know, had had some early success, but for me, it, it, it was always like a fun kind of side project. It was something that just sort of scratched like a different itch for me, like outside of my my typical day to day work responsibilities. So yeah, um, yeah I never I never really treated it as like a, a full time uh, focus of mine. It, and as as coaching clients came in, I, I loved working with them, but I was never really super active in like hunting down new clients. Um, so God, yeah, I guess that was back in the early days was 2013 or 14. And, and yeah, over the years, I've kind of had times where I've been, uh, more focused on it and having a number of clients. Then I'd go long stretches without having any clients and, and just kind of having it in the back of my mind. So I, I enjoy it. Um, but you know, I've never, I feel like I've never really had a, enough time to, to totally dedicate mm. myself to it. Which, which is a shame, but I, I always just appreciated the, the clients that I had and really enjoyed the, the experience and, yeah. uh, you know, would, would kind of take it as, it as it came in. What's your area of expertise in coaching? I'd say I've had the most success with, with helping people. I like to phrase it as like helping them uh, improve their relationships with technology. So mm. that most often comes to light in terms of screen addiction, you know, we, we've been talking about, about YouTube and it's funny how, how many people have come to me needing help on just sort of being addicted to, to YouTube in particular, like watching a lot of videos. Uh, you know, people are, are often uh, feeling addicted to social media and I've, I've helped a number of clients in that area just with, with sort of my experience in the industry, but also just, you know, I, I love technology myself. I love to, to have new gadgets. I love to play with things, but as I've, as I've gotten older, I just realized that there's a time and place for it. And there's just a way to be more mindful with your devices and to, to sort of have them fit into the rest of your, your life versus just taking over all of your time. A lot of these things can just be huge. I don't want to say waste of time because there's a lot of benefits that come from them, but they, they require a lot of time and, and they, they just sort of, you know, suck away that time when maybe you, you hadn't planned on it. So that, that's really been my, my area of, uh, of, of focus lately. Uh, I, I've helped people in a number of other areas regarding their, their, their businesses, you know, more on the advertising and kind of marketing side of, of my traditional uh, education. But, but yeah, I, I've always loved to help people just figure out technology and, and to use it in a way that's going to be better for them. So they, they have more time for, for the other things they want to do in life. Are, are you okay to share a couple of secrets? Like how do you help your clients 
yeah. you know, improve their relation with technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I, I love technology and it, it almost sounds counterintuitive, but sometimes you need to use technology to sort of like free yourself from it. So <laughs> I, I do give a lot of recommendations about, you know, the, the way that you sort of lay out the, the home screen on your phone or the way that your, your computer is set up, like really trying to make it so that those, those areas that maybe are going to suck away more of your time, they're either totally deleted from your devices or at the very least they're, they're hidden. They're, they're kind of tucked away where you got to go out of your way to kind of find them. And I think that for a majority of the, the people that I work with, like that, that makes a huge improvement. If, you're, if your home screen is sort of laid out in a way that makes you more likely to, to use your phone for productivity versus you know, whatever else you want to call uh, social media or, or mindlessly scrolling, you know, the more that you can, can optimize it and simplify it, then you know, the easier it's going to be to control your willpower because that's sort of what it comes down to. And a lot of these apps, a lot of the technology companies, they're, they're designing these products based on the psychology. They know how your brain works. They, they know what you, want to, uh, what you want to be doing. So if you can sort of retrain that part of your brain and, and, and fix your focus, you know, that's going to go a long way to, to improving that relationship with technology. So um, uh, I have mentioned it multiple times on my interview that Another reason why I'm doing this interview is to, you know, get free coaching and therapy sessions from my guests. So yeah. <laughs> help me out in the, in this equation. Sure. So with me personally, I'm not much of a phone user as much as I use my MacBook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I belong to that category. <laughs> sure. Uh, and even in Mac, I do not use so many apps, but I use just one google chrome which is like kind of opens up everything for me yes <laughs> what so what, what do you think how can i like maybe optimize it a little better if that's the word yeah yeah i mean when it comes to the the web browser is a difficult whether it's chrome or safari or whatever the web browser is it is it's essentially a portal into into everything on the internet, which is good and bad, right? So it, I think if, if you sort of think about it, like it is, it is a tool that you're using to find whatever it is that you need, but you know, it's, it's like you think about it as like a very specific tool or like a multi-purpose tool. You wanna be as specific as possible. And the beauty of something like Chrome or these web browsers is they're, they're sort of infinitely customizable. You can, you can have these plugins, you can have extensions that block certain apps. You know, you can, you can kind of set it up in a way that is going to be more successful for your goals. So that, that could be something as simple as like installing an extension that might, you know, block Facebook if that's something that you're trying to avoid. Or it could just be something as simple as like having timers built into the, the, the browser. You know, I, I often say like there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with, with some of these things that people are doing online. It's the problem is the amount of time that you're doing them for. Mm -hmm. And it's also just the the act of you know not knowing how much time. Like if if you ask if you if you like ask somebody like, well, how much time do you spend on social media or how much time do you spend watching YouTube videos or whatever it might be, they're almost always going to underestimate how much time that actually is. 
So it's, it's, uh, it's important to just be real and just kind of know, all right, I'm spending this amount of time on this task and, and just ask yourself, are you okay with it? And maybe you are, and that's fine. But I think that, especially from my experience and working with clients, they are often surprised by the amount of time they're spending on these things. And, and, and sometimes just like really kind of horrified. It's like, wow, like if I took some, just 10% of that time and put it into something else, imagine what I could create. So it's, it's really more about the awareness of what you're doing not saying like you can't do this but just be like hey are, are you aware that you're doing this okay well now you can adjust if you'd like but you need the awareness before you can make any improvement yeah i totally agree with that and here's something that i'm trying uh i haven't 100 tried it so far but you know this is like in uh, like a wip and uh, so what i'm doing is i'm using like uh, two different browsers. Mm -hmm. So like Firefox for my work related stuff and Chrome for, I guess, like random scrolling and, you know, yep. like some entertainment kind of stuff. I haven't done it. I haven't done the bifurc, you know, like that uh, division 100%. So I'm not sure about the results, but have you tried this kind of a thing? I, I haven't really. It's a good idea. I know that, you know, sometimes people have like specific, um, you know, either in Mac or even on Windows having like specific desktop like setups, like, okay, I'm going to go over yeah. to my like work desktop, my virtual desktop for work or for play. I've never done it specifically with a different browser, but, you know, especially with Chrome, you can, you can open it up and kind of have like preset tabs that open up for certain things. So the idea of having like, here are my work tabs, here are my, you know, my gaming tabs, here are my social media tabs. I think that's a pretty good start for people, but yeah, having a, a totally different browser altogether is a good idea too. Yeah. Uh, so you also mentioned, you know, like about the time period, what do you think is the op like, what is the like healthy time period to spend on internet? Don't say zero hours, obviously, but what's the <laughs> healthy amount of time? You know, I think about it more as a percentage of your time versus then like a specific time. Like, I don't know, it's, yeah. it's like, say if you're, if you're working for, for eight hours during the day, you know, maybe you're taking 10 to 20% of that to, to find, you know, uh, a specific project that you're working on. It, it's all about breaking it up into little bite-sized pieces of the pie versus saying like, I need three hours to do this or two hours to do that. Uh, and I think that that using it strategically in terms of like, okay, maybe it's a social media break between other, you know, chunks of productivity that you're doing. Yeah, I think that that's a little bit healthier than just kind of having you know, having it be, you know, one hour a day or whatever it might be. If, if that one hour is happening during break periods when you're getting other work done, you know, that, that's a little bit more valuable than having it just be the first hour of your morning or whatever, you know. So it's, it's not as simple as just saying like, this time is okay, mm. this time is not. I think it's, it's, it's how you break it up throughout the day. Uh, let, let me ask a little, uh, you know, detailed and specific question around this. So what amount of screen time that I get on my MacBook. So currently it's, I guess, 10 hours a day. What amount of screen time should be, you know, alarming for me? 
<laughs> you mean just like in general screen time like how many how many hours are you looking at your computer well you know that's obviously it's gonna it's gonna depend on on your your yeah. work and, and how much you you, you want to be doing with it you know like we we still subscribe to sort of that eight hour work day roughly which i know sort of becomes laughable when people are are working remotely or working from home they might blow by that traditional eight hour schedule but i think that's a good that's a good sort of area to to focus on like you know if, if you are work especially if you're job involves working on social media or something like yeah that, that number is going to be high but if it's it's just all about you know the value you're getting out of that time and if you're if you don't feel like it's valuable for you then that's when you need to adjust it but if you finish an eight hour day and you feel refreshed and you feel like everything you were doing was was beneficial for you or the projects you were working on then you know it, it's not as big of a, an issue versus coming to the end of a day and just feeling drained and feeling like you got nothing accomplished so let's say uh, I have an issue, you know, I have a social media addiction, let's say. I don't, but let's say. <laughs> uh, what's the first step you suggest to anyone? Or, you know, like, what would you suggest me to first of all? Considering that I don't have a social media job, I have like, you know, some other job. So social media yeah. is just a, you know, a distraction for me. Yeah, it's really just about the taking an audit of your time. You know, I know that the word audit is always kind of scary for people. It's like, oh, that sounds daunting. I don't, I don't really want to think about that. But, but it, it really is as simple as just sort of accounting for your time. And if you do feel like you have, whether it's social media or whatever your, your addiction is, your screen addiction is, it's good to just sort of be aware of it and to look at the, the timing and, and, and take me through a typical day, a typical week, and, and just set, you can, you know, you can do it by having timers set up on your devices, you know, or you can just kind of go by, by feeling and, and kind of be like, hey, like I felt like today was, was a rough day for me. And you look at, are you having three rough days in, in a week? Are you having six or seven rough days in a week? And the more you can be honest with yourself and, and do that audit of your time, that's going to be helpful for, for, for me to try to help someone, but, but also for them just to know where they stand so we can map out a, a way to help them. Okay. And what are usually the most common second steps that you do? Step one is obviously, you know, like uh, measuring or being aware of what is happening around you, right? So what are the most common second steps that you notice yourself, you know, like suggesting your client? Yeah, I mean, once once we've gotten real about you know the, the timing of things and, and and doing that audit, then it becomes mapping out that plan. And you know what, what I don't want to do is I don't want to tell somebody, okay, you're going to go from from you know eight hours a day on Facebook to zero hours a day on Facebook. Like that that's not helpful. So it, it, it's trying to plot that course and to see if it is it you know minuscule improvements. Do we do we cut that down or do we just sort of you know re reframe that? It's like you might still spend the same amount of time on it. But is like I said, is that time spent in between breaks of more productive work, or you know, how are you how are you splitting up that that time that you're on social media, and just trying to think about it in terms of ways that's gonna you know make them feel like they're making those those incremental uh, steps to improve versus just feeling like this is a, a daunting task where you're just burdened by this and you know you're not able to to dig yourself out of this this social media hole. And specifically for content creators, people who look social media with a different eye you know uh yeah what are, what do you suggest like how do they not feel drained while using social media 
Well, again, I think it's like if you are using it mindfully, if you are spending, say, you know, 30 minutes just reading comments or you're spending, you know, 45 minutes posting something new and and really breaking it out instead of having it be like a two hour chunk of social media, you, you get more specific with those little segments of time throughout that session. And I think that that's, that's really helpful. It's all about the, the intentionality. It, it's, it's just knowing when you're picking up your device, when you're opening up your laptop, having an intent is super important versus if you're just doing it mindlessly, like if you just open your computer and you don't know what you're gonna be doing, that's, that's a, a trouble sign. You know, that, that's a sign that you might sort of slide down that slippery slope and start spending time in ways that you don't wanna be doing it. You know, I, I wrote something recently about this outdoor office and the pros and cons of it. It's like it's great and people are always uh, jealous and complimenting me on it. But at the same time, it does require a bit of work and sometimes it's uh, not ideal. So uh, let's talk about uh, your outdoor office. And sure. <laughs> because uh, whoever is watching this, uh, you must have seen that uh, he's in different backgrounds. Obviously, because I had to cut out a couple of minutes because the sun is, you know, like coming here and there. <laughs> it's being notorious. Yeah. So <laughs> um, tell me about your outdoor office. <laughs> sure, sure. So, you know, the outdoor office kind of came about, you know, uh, during when we first started, my wife and I both working from home during a pandemic and, you know, living in a house that, that's pretty small and our office turned into, uh, you know, our, our baby's room once our daughter was born. So we had to give up our office inside and yeah, we had to get creative with our, our usage of, of space out here. And, and I mean, I've always loved working outdoors and, and I've worked uh, at companies that had great like patio spaces and uh, you know, for years, I worked on this this amazing rooftop patio at, at a company I was working at. So I always I always enjoyed it. Felt like I was more productive outside. It's more more relaxing. I don't know, just to be able to see greenery or to be outdoors. And you know, fortunate enough to to live in the Bay Area, where the weather's not too uh, too much of a problem and not a whole lot of rain to deal with either. But um, so so yeah, this is just something that was sort of born out of necessity. And now like sure I, I could find uh, space inside to work but I, I like the the um, you know the experience out here and, and sometimes it's challenging adjusting an umbrella and trying to find the right uh, balance of sunlight and and having real uh, backdrops here you know this is the the back of my backyard where there's actual jasmine growing on these vines and people always say oh that's that's a virtual background right and it's like no this is real and, and these flowers you know they they dry out they grow they change they, they live and it, at the very least, it becomes a conversation starter, an icebreaker. A lot of times, when you know my, my job does have me doing video calls with with you know creators all around the world, and sometimes it's like you know it, it just breaks the ice, and it's like, wait, wh- where are you? And is that real? And what time is it where you are? And it just sort of gets a conversation going really organically. And yeah, now I just, I can't imagine being inside with just like a white background behind me. Like, what would people talk about? What would they ask me? (laughs) I I can see that. And so tell me more about this, uh, like standing desk, because I've been thinking a little bit around that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I've been using standing desk, man, I want to say 
probably nearly 10 years at this point. And mm. it's been many different versions of them. You know, back in the day, it wasn't as popular and you had to sort of build them yourselves. And I remember uh, sort of having a traditional kind of cubicle at, at a job. And I went and I bought these like smaller little desks and put it on top of my desk. And everybody thought I was crazy. And, uh, but I liked it. And, and I felt just more energized by, by standing throughout the day. Um, so yeah, and now since since then, I've always had standing desks. Some of them have just been, you know, like permanent uh, desks that only stayed up at one height. I've had Vera desks that go up and down. And this current setup is is sort of a a mobile standing desk that that I'm able to move around with. And it's uh, it's great. It's it's lightweight and it just has enough to to kind of have my my laptop stand, um, trackpad, keyboard, microphone, but enough room to just have my you know my coffee and some some shelving down there but it's it's been great it's uh it, it's it's minimal but it, it really does get the job done and in terms of productivity i kind of like the the minimal workspace and i've i've had setups where i've had multiple monitors and it's been this like big elaborate system but i find that i get more work done if i just have one laptop screen just focused mm. like you know not enough room to have a million different windows open i really need to focus and and so it's it's sort of become a way to to trick myself into more monotasking and and not having 20 different things open on multiple screens at once and uh, so personally i have been thinking a little bit about standing desk here so i realized one thing that i'm really really not comfortable sitting in a chair I'll always be a laid back kind of person. I like working yep. in sofa, <laughs> yep. but I just cannot yeah. sit like this. I cannot, you know, like type like this. I'll yeah, always be typing hard. like this. Yeah. That kind of makes yeah, it's, me wonder. It's not that. easy. Yeah. It, it, it takes time you... to sort of adjust, right? You have to like get your body into the right, the right frame of doing it. And I've seen a lot of people get a standing desk and then they're, they don't look at the ergonomics of their where their arms are, you know, if they're on a keyboard or if they're using the trackpad versus a mouse. So it's like they might have a standing desk, but they're either like looking down at the monitor or they're hunched over. So it's it's not as simple as like standing and sitting. It's like, well, you can have a good ergonomic setup when you're sitting and you can have a good ergonomic setup when you're standing. But it's important to kind of look at all the different variables and and make sure that you're 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 comfortable. Otherwise, you know, it's it's all for for nothing if you if you don't pay attention to those little details. Totally. So uh, thank you for sharing that. I'll definitely. So I'm moving out to my own place. Like I don't know, really, really soon in a few days. And yeah, I would want to try a standing desk first now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in. Interestingly, as you mentioned that, you know, your area of expertise in, co- in coaching is uh, yeah. helping people improve their relationship with technology. That also makes me wonder and tell me if I'm thinking in the right direction. Uh, you must have done some work in relationships as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I guess, I don't know, could you maybe rephrase that? Like in what types of, uh, of work do you mean? Interpersonal relationships. Could okay. be professional, personal, romantic, friendships, whatever comes to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I never really had any formal, you know, work in, in that area or training in that area. I will say, you know, going back to, to formal education, I, I did have a, a psychology minor that, that does come in handy sometimes just thinking about how people interact and sort of the psychology behind those those relationships but 
but I don't know. And, and it, when you're talking about a relationship with technology, it's almost like ideally, yes, we are getting to the point where our our computers are <laughs> people, right? And it, it and it should be sort of correlated. But I think for a long time, it was it was a different sort of skill set. It was like, all right, you know, you're 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 almost dealing with like an object versus a a feeling. And I think social media is where that gets that gets a little bit challenging because you know social media there's another person on the other end there is an interpersonal dynamic versus if you're just playing a video game by yourself it's a little bit different it's a little bit more just on your on your own um but no i i mean i, I guess for me it's it's i've learned a lot just by by you know having these relationships and working in different jobs and, and knowing what what sort of that that relationship felt like um, but it's something that just comes over time, I think. And, and based on, you know, the more you do it, the more you work with people, you sort of see patterns and, and you kind of figure out, you know, exactly, uh, you know, wh what's happening and you figure out ways to, to help those people. And, uh, so what have been your, no, let me ask a better question. Let me not ask a cliche question. Uh, <laughs> what do you think are the most underrated skills when it, when it comes to interpersonal relationships or building up better interpersonal relationships? I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is just empathy and just trying to, to, to feel what the other person is feeling. I think that's sort of the root of, of most inter, interpersonal you know, issues. And it, it's just trying to, to understand how is this person feeling right now? Have I felt that way in the past? And, and how can you sort of put yourself in, in their shoes at that moment? And if you're able to even do that, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have lived that experience before, but, but just having that, that little bit of, of empathy or the, the capacity to, to see what they're, they're thinking or what they're feeling, that's going to help. That's going to help sort of start the, the ball rolling to, to get that, that issue solved. So, you know, and I think that that's, it's something that, that doesn't happen easily and it's a skill. It's, it's absolutely a skill that you, that you need to work on and try to, to, you know, feel that empathy for, for another person. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's a lot easier to do that with, with people versus, versus technology, right? But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really important skill that people need to develop. I have a personal experience with this skill. So um, over the, like, I don't know. So I went through depression and my first anxiety attack in 2016. And that kind of, you know, like gave me a reality check. Okay, so this is who Dipanshu is, okay? And mm -hmm. I realized I, I was, you know, like the textbook definition of narcissist. Mm, interesting. And that basically means that I had like almost negative empathy. <laughs> like yeah, I had yeah, yeah. Empathy around, uh, you know, like in my head or in my behavior. And I, now like it's been like five years now. So I look back and I see what must have caused me to behave like that way. And, you know, like all things like the behavior I grew up with or the ideals that I had in you know, in my childhood and stuff. But uh, I didn't do it consciously in the start. But I remember for me to change, I needed to start indulging, you know, start uh, practicing empathy or start yeah. involving empathy in my life or start creating empathy in myself. And now I look back, I see, you know, like this is the reason why I become, you know, like why I am the way I am now but mm -hmm. like it was not conscious so i 100 percent agree that empathy is probably the first skill that you know why you need how you can be better in your interpersonal skills why do you think most people don't have this 
I don't know. I, I think you talk about like the, the idea of, of being a narcissist. And I think that there is something, I, I don't know if it's, if it's, it's baked into our, our culture globally. I think certain, certain countries maybe have it sort of built in more, but the idea of, of thinking of yourself first is, is kind of been, I don't know. I think in certain, certain families, certain cultures, it's ingrained from a young age where yeah. you're, you want to, you want to succeed. You, you want to, you know, you always want to be learning, growing, making money. And you sort of think about that from, from just your perspective. You don't often think about, Hey, how am I going to make a, a bunch of people or, you know, how am I going to make a lot of people smarter? How am I going to make a lot of people more wealthy or whatever, more successful? You, you sort of just think about it from your own perspective. And, I think that as, as you get older and the more relationships you have, the more you, you, you see that. And I think the, you know, the, the easy kind of trope that people say a lot is, is you, know, you experience that when, when you have a child or when you, when you get married and you kind of put somebody else before you. And you know, I, yeah. I haven't been a dad for too long, but I know that that does, that does sort of change your perspective a little bit. And I, I wish that there was a way to change that perspective without having to get married or have a kid, right? Like what, how can we do that without these monumental things? Like how can we sort of replicate those feelings uh, on, on, on everyone, not just for, for parents or you know, people in relationships? I, I think that's sort of a, a problem that, that could be worth solving. And I totally agree with your viewpoint. Uh, in my experience, in my, you know, like, again, limited experience, uh, West has more culture of, you know, like, grow, uh, yeah. like, you know, like, where the kids may grow up having selfish nature or self-centered nature, uh, rather yeah. than from Eastern countries. So mm -hmm. I was obviously a product of my upbringing, my, you know, like, ecosystem and environment but i don't see a lot of people like me in my environment that that's mm. another truth uh, nonetheless uh, what i feel is and you know like this is again so most of the people i have worked with are in their early or mid 20s so okay. like close to my age and what i've seen is uh, so up until the age of 18 or 20 you are the product you are 100 percent the product of your society or your parents specifically. And yeah. after you move out, after you graduate, you know, like you start going to college or you move out of your parents' home, you start unbecoming your parents and you start yep. becoming 1%, 2% or, you know, like gradually who you want to be. So I really kind of think, I'm, I'll try my best to not, you know, uh, say this sentence in a sadistic way. But I really feel that, you know, like there needs to be a little uh, earthquake in your life, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in your 20s to realize that, you know what, this is not the, this is not the truth. This is not the world, how your parents told you, like it can mm -hmm. be, but it's definitely not your world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that there's, there's something to be said about the idea of like, yeah, I, I think a, a phrase that I often hear about is like, oh, like, wh where'd you learn that from? Is that from your parents? Like, is that something that you came like? growing up and and um, I don't know I, I sure there are certain things that you get from your parents that are not really going to change but I I sort of take I don't know if it's pride is the right word but I think it's important for people to kind of understand like yes there are going to be connections to your parents to your siblings to your upbringing but at a certain point in your life like it's up to you to shape those things and you can acknowledge my mom is this way my dad is this way my, my brother is this way whatever you can acknowledge it but that doesn't mean that you have to be that way you know and, and it's it seems almost it's 
I don't want to say, yeah, maybe it is sometimes lazy to think like, well, that's just how my parents are. So that's how I'm going to be. And, you know, it's, it, it might be difficult for you to change those behaviors, but it's possible. And, you know, it's going to be beneficial to you and your growth as, as a human. And, and I, I just think that it's, um, that, that's an important distinction to make between you and your upbringing. It doesn't have to follow you throughout your whole life if, if you don't want it to. But, you know, I, I'm sure, and I could say there are plenty of great things that my parents did, did teach me that I want to hold on to, but, but not all of them. And I think that, again, it's sort of just being honest with, with, with the way you were raised. And, and yes, sometimes when you have your own kid, you start to think about that more. And it's like, well, my, my parents did it this way. I don't know if that was the right way. It, it's, I, I love them just the same, but maybe it wasn't the right way. <laughs> I'm not a parent yet, but I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, like it might be a lazy thing to do. So I usually use the word that it's actually, you know, like you playing a victim, that life is happening to you. You know, like yes. it, it's just that my parents are doing this or I'm not rich yet because, you know, like yes. my parents are poor or they didn't let me do this right. stuff like that. And then you realize that, that 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 person is like 25 and like they had all the opportunities to do something about it and they didn't. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I that's one of the reason you know like uh, I really believe that earthquake needs to be there in their personal life. I I, I need to find a better word to use here. And secondly, you know, uh, to grow out of that, you know, quake, they need they need or like I what I did or what I realized that I what I did that helped me move out from all that case was to take ownership and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I taking ownership and responsibility in in all walks of life is is beneficial. And, and it's just something that, you know, maybe it gets put off too late in life sometimes. And I think that there's, everybody's gonna have the, the right time. You know, some people are like 16, 18 years old. They're like, I'm gone, I'm out, I'm on my own, I'm independent, that's great. Other people don't feel that maybe until later in life. And I think it's, it's important for everyone to find the right time for them, but whatever that time is to just acknowledge, all right, I'm gonna take responsibility for this. Like this is, this is on me now, it's no longer my, my parents' um, you know, issue, it's, it's my issue. And, and when you, once you can realize that, you can start to, to map out the, the rest of your life. So uh, I'm not going to be a parent in a really, you know, like short time. Obviously, I need to first find a yeah. relevant partner. I'm sure. <laughs> but sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> coming to point. So at certain point, because I'm, you know, like for the last, I don't know, six months. So I'm living with my parents for the last six months. So I recognized a lot of, you know, so we are a healthy, loving family. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have you know like any kind of violence or any you know like abuse or any that kind of stuff but at the same good, time good. i saw how their limiting beliefs are on me you know like how yeah. i learned a lot of limiting things from them or you know how i have a lot of fears just because my parents have those fears yeah or i got a lot of trigger points in the last six months you know like staying with my parents so i've been sure. talking a lot around this part and that kind of make me worried and I, uh, so I also talked to a lot of people, like I mentioned, one friend, uh, she comes from even more loving family than mine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like she like never had any kind of issues in her family, but she grew up to be an anorexic person. She had anorexia 
it's a food mm-hmm. eating disorder and that that was messed up i was like oh, how <laughs> how yeah. is that possible yeah. right and so sure. that kind of made me so much worried that how do i not you know like put on my trauma to my next generation i know <laughs> do you also worry about that <laughs> i i do and it, it's also it's wonderful but also it throws a whole other variable in it is just dealing with the the experiences of your partner you know if, if you have a partner when you're raising a child sometimes you you may not but 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 knowing that like i i often talk to my wife about those things and and we we both come from very loving families but i think the the parenting style of each of our parents was different and there are times mm. when when we we sort of come across that and you know like i said our our daughter is is still still young she's not even 2 years old yet but as she grows up like i think that there i can see it already there will be certain times when you know we as parents need to discuss like should we approach it this way or that way and i think we would both of our parents would have approached it differently and and there will be a discussion and i'm sure there will be arguments and there will be disagreements about it and it's uh it's i guess one of the joys of parenting is just having that and and having the the ability to sort of talk it out with someone and try to find like maybe it's a you know it's a hybrid of of each of your your parents parenting styles to try to create your own parenting style so i i just i see mm. that i see that happening i see that happening in in our future without a doubt um and you know you do the best you can you you try to be the best parent you can but i'm sure there will be things that i'm going to second guess and there will be times where i call my parents and say like why did you do it this way for me was that like should i do that again like i i don't know i i think it's also it's probably smart to have those frank conversations with your parents once you're an adult right and i think that they're beneficial you could learn a lot by saying asking questions like that like hey mom like do you regret any of these things or if 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 this happened again w- would you do it the same way you know i think that would probably be a really worthwhile exercise for everyone Dude, I loved your answer so much. It gave me like a <laughs> positive hope that I want to be a parent someday. <laughs> so I invited my therapist on, you know, like a few weeks ago in this interview series, and I asked her the same question. Like, and she gave a really good answer. But I, I loved your answer more than hers. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> so you. Yeah, I mean. You know, again, as I say, uh, I, I, haven't been, I haven't been a parent for very long. So check back in with me for in a couple of years. I might have a totally different answer. So, yeah, so uh, she's also not a parent yet. But she mentioned that, you know, what what I have seen, like what she had seen so far is every parent is going to mess up their kids in their unique ways. Yeah. And the best thing yeah. you can do is like offer them therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so true. But, I really loved your approach. Again, like you know, obviously, what do you do with this mindset that you mentioned? That you know, like, why do you think it's a challenge? Why can't it just be an opportunity? You know, to be really yeah. curious and interesting about where can we go from here? Uh, obviously, it's going to depend on how I take this mindset and you know, like, apply it in my execution. But then again, it's it's a really interesting approach. Uh, how long have you been married? we're coming up on 4 years this summer yeah mm, congratulations so i'm going to ask a couple of questions and it, at any sure. point if you feel uncomfortable in answering any okay. of them just let me know sure yeah so uh how and when did you know that this is the time to marry to get married mm ah uh, man you know i i don't know if it's a it's a feeling or if it's a 
I just think that there is a time where, and, and this, this definitely happens in relationships. It probably also happens in, in jobs and, and other, you know, career trajectories too, where you hit a point where you just need to, you need to make a decision, right? You need to either decide that you're, you're really into this for, for the long haul. Like you're going to dedicate to this person, to this job, whatever yeah. it is, or, or you realize that it's time for a change. And I think that, you know, in a lot of relationships in my, in our relationship too, like, I think we just hit that point where we realize, like, okay, this, this has been great for, for a couple of years of dating, but like now is the time to, to sort of, you know, make that, that leap. And, and I think that with, with my wife, like she'll, she'll admit, like, we are very different people. I am much more, you know, pensive and kind of ponder things a little bit where she just kind of jumps into things a little bit faster. So, you know, I, I think she probably, maybe she was ready to do it a little bit sooner than I was. And I just needed to think that through and, and really get to that place. But, um, but yeah, I think that, and, and more specifically for us, it was like, we had been living together. We had been traveling together. I think traveling together with a, a partner is, is really important mm. to just kind of see things in a different environment. That's not your day-to-day -day typical routine. And we had gone on some really great trips together. And I think that you know, every time we would come back from a trip, it would be like, okay, that, that would sort of make me feel that we were closer to that point. And, and I think that after, you know, after several of those, you finally reach that point where like, this is great. This is working for us in many different environments. And, and I, I want to, I want to keep this going. Like, I want this to be, uh, you know, I, I want this to be forever. And I want this to be something where we, you know, we, we experience these things together. So I think that was kind of my journey and, and just seeing all the different experiences together with someone and coming out of each of those experiences, feeling a little bit more and more confident and, and then, you know, feeling to the point where it's okay, I, I feel good about this. And, you know, this is, this is who I'm meant to be with. And what hurdles did you two cross together? Yeah, there were, there were a number of hurdles. I mean, we, we did, there, there was long distance relationships for, for a while as we were, you know, we were in separate cities and we were trying to figure out if, if we did want to be in the same city and, you know, where yeah, that would be for about a year. Um, yeah. I mean, our, our relationship was, was interesting because we, we knew each other in college. We, we never dated in college. And then we, we had mutual friends. We, we sort of stayed in touch and then, you know, uh, it was basically our, our, our 10 years after, no way, it was five years after our, our graduation in college, but we had known each other for quite a while. That's when we started dating. And we, <laughs> we, were, we were both traveling a bit for, for work. I, you know, I, was, I was in New York a lot. She was in San Francisco a lot. And we would go back and mm -hmm. forth and see each other. And, and then we, yeah, we realized we, we did want to, you know, stay together in, in one city. We, we made that move. Um, so that the distance can can certainly be a, a challenge for for people, and it's just it's it's again it's sort of like I said about traveling with someone and getting out of that comfort zone. I think it's if you're able to sort of you know, live in separate cities and still maintain that relationship, it's it's usually a good sign. I'd say you know it worked for us anyway. Like once we were separate, we would get together and we still had the, the, you know, the, the relationship was working, but I'm sure there are plenty of other people who did long distance, moved in together and was like, okay, no, this didn't, this doesn't work for us. So that's, that's certainly a, a big challenge. just deciding uh, to make those changes to sort of uproot your life for someone. You know, that's, that's something that, that, that's different than if you meet someone in the city that you already live in. But here's the deal. So again, uh, let me ask, some guidance from you. <laughs> so yeah, <sure>. current, <laughs> currently, I'm single, and this is probably the first filter that I have that I'm not ready to do long distance, or at least first. 
you know like i'm not ready to do long distance first maybe after a few years like you know like if we are together and you need to you know like move out for a year or two or that kind of stuff i may be yeah. able to do that but not at the first of you know like even before we start dating stuff like that and that's kind of my first filter like because uh, so the reason that i'm giving myself for this filter is that i like you know quality time is my love language like i want to spend time yeah. with some person like definitely not touching like i do not like you know like all that kind of stuff but just being in space of that person you know around yeah. that person looking at that person not with help of any screen but <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah in in front of me and again i don't know so i was like practicing celibacy for one and a half years i i recently opened up you know to this idea of dating again like a month or so ago i'm not sure where where it will lead <laughs> but sure. this is this is kind of the filter what what do you think like what what do you think about this filter well I don't know. I, I, to me, it's like I sort of the, the easy answer is to just be kind of open to, to possibilities. Like to answer mm. the question before about like the challenges, like I, I always thought I, I didn't think that long distance relationship would, would work at all for, for me. And I was sort of hesitant to do it, um, you know, until I gave it a try and kind of looked at the, the pros and cons of it and mm. acknowledged the pros and cons of face-to-face relationships in the same city or face-to-face relationships living in the same house or apartment, you know, versus, versus uh, long distance. I think there are pros and cons to all of these different arrangements. And, you know, it sounds cheesy or kind of sappy to say, but like if you found the right person that it sort of will overcome all of those things. But, mm. but I think that there is, there is some truth to that. Like if you're connecting with someone really well, then there's a good chance that the connection will work, you know, on a video chat like this, or it'll work on the phone, or it'll work in person. If, if the connection's there, I, I think that you know, the, the distance can be overcome. But, but yeah, I mean, everyone has to sort of find what, what works best for them and, and, and test it out. And yeah, if you had asked me prior to that, that long distance relationship, I probably would have been like, no, it'll never work. It's not worth trying. And, and it's it's funny now when when my wife and I meet other people who had done long distance relationships mm. and then you know gotten married later or there's sort of a, a a way to you know there's like an acknowledgement there it's like oh like yeah that that's tough like if you can do that it sort of um, lays down that foundation for a, a certain relationship so but again I, I'm sure that there are there are other types of adversity adversity that you can overcome in like the, you know, a, a relationship in the same city too, right? It's like, whatever yeah. your personal journey is in that relationship, that's gonna, that's gonna shape like the future of, of your time together with that person. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be unique <laughs> for everyone, but that's, that's how it worked well for me. Here's what's coming to my mind or what I'm going to do or what I have thought of doing so far. So for the next three to six months, I'm going to do, going to go ahead with my approach. And I'm going to, you know, put this video and pin it, this conversation at this very specific moment. And if it doesn't work out my way, I'll come back to it and I'll take your advice again. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, it's right. It's like it's it's like all the rest of the stuff that we do in our in our professional development and our careers and life. It's like you've got to try it. You've got to, you know, you've always yeah. got to be trying new things and, and adjusting as you see fit. So I'm, you know, I'm sure that you'll you'll find what, what works best for you and just being open to tr- to trying something new or even just being open to like you know, saying that, you know, a lot of people don't even have the wherewithal to say, I'm going to do this with, for, you yeah. know, in my relationship. It's like just being, having that intent and, and being, you know, you know, smart about it and like thinking about it and being strategic is, is great. 
so i have seen people you know they knew that they need, you know like again the way i am feeling right now that i rather be single than you know like having a long distance relationship at least this yeah. moment a lot of yeah. people knew that they cannot do long distance relationship but because they are desperate to you know like be with someone or yeah that fear that i just cannot be lonely they'll rather have a wrong partner than staying single yeah yeah have you been at that yeah, i get that i've been there i've been there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's that there's something to be said about about you know times where you've you've been lonely or there's a time where you you need something and we all need different things at different points in our lives romantically yeah. or just just from you know just from a companion or just the, to engage with someone. So I, I I see that and I think that for for myself and I will I'll speak for my wife a little bit, but I think that we were both at that that age where it it felt it felt right like we we didn't. we were i guess that sort of old enough where we didn't feel the need to be going out every night anymore we kind of gotten out of our system and and we were at the point now where we felt that connection was was worth uh you know cultivating and trying to to make it work but we we joke all the time like it, it's the timing was perfect for our relationship and if we had dated right when we first met each other it would have never lasted as long you know i i think we, it would have been great but we say there's no way we would have dated from like freshman year of college all the way through our our 20s and you know 30s it's like that wouldn't have happened it just because we know ourselves and it probably wouldn't have happened so it's it's all about the timing and i think what we did in the interim from the time we we first met and the time when we started dating like that time was really important in our development as as individuals but also just in in our perspective and in what relationships are and and what they can be so i think that 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 sort of shaped our ability to handle the long distance and to continue you know being together so has an interesting thing for you i know you're going to understand because you come from a marketing background <laughs> I, again i'm you know like i'm totally okay being single for the next 5 years i don't care Yeah, but right okay. now what I care is I want to test out my hypothesis that you know different hypothesis that I have. So I have one hypothesis that uh, because I come from a marketing background, I understand the funnel, so understand how dating is just like any other funnel. So you have yeah. your awareness stage, you have your engagement stage, and you have your conversion stage. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what I'm currently trying to do is I'm you know putting up filters or you know like sorting out my awareness stage first. Okay. So. i'm putting up that first filter that that person needs to be in my city or around where i can travel and you know like not too far and then obviously yeah. other different kind of situations and i don't know i'm just curious like what's going to happen <laughs> if if it doesn't work that way we'll we'll change the platform we'll do something else yeah that's interesting yeah i mean the fact that you say like kind of putting some some timing around it like saying like 5 years like i think that that's something that's been uh, it's sort of a cliche people say right like it's like oh if i'm not married by 30 or if i'm not married <laughs> by 40 then like you and i we'll, we'll get married right it's like you you got to have your friend it's like well if we if we both don't find anybody we'll we'll just get together yeah. by that point so you know that that's somewhat of a joke but i think it's important to have the 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 timing and if you feel comfortable you know doing this this whether it's this hypothesis or something else if you feel comfortable yeah. doing it for 5 years then then that's great like like i think that that puts you ahead of people who are just sort of mindlessly going into this world and it's you know i i so i commend you on that <laughs> and it's really interesting so i interviewed another leadership coach on my interview series and he really uh, mentioned a really great thing he said what i suggest my clients uh, the best time for you to be in a relationship is 
when you believe that you can be single forever yeah like you can be yeah. single without anyone forever if you can feel that way you are ready to be in a relationship you have no doubt I, i would agree with that yeah i mean i i think i i definitely felt that way you know i i've been in that that scenario too and 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 yeah i i think that you you always have to be comfortable with yourself you know people say clichés like that too it's like you got to know yourself before you can really connect with someone so yeah i think everybody is going to be shaped by those experiences and they're going to get to that moment where they feel they feel ready for it so yeah speaking from my experience i i agree i i think i had gotten to that point where i felt really you know okay with with being single and i i wouldn't say that i wanted to be single but i i was okay with it and i think that that's that's like the feeling that you're you're getting at it's like just being comfortable yeah. with it yeah yeah are you a spiritual person um i'd say no probably is like the easiest sort of quick answer on that <laughs> i um and this and that's a you know that kind of ties into what we were saying before about you know questions about raising a child in a spiritual world and, and trying to figure that out and i think that's something that my wife and i talk about where you know religion was was part of our both of our upbringings but not something we were super passionate about and not even something our parents were really super passionate about it was sort of just like a going through the yeah. motions of it yeah you know and and i think a, a lot of people feel that way so then when you become a parent uh there were a few of those questions like when when our our child was born like oh you know like how are you going to raise them like what religion are they going to get baptized or what what's going to happen and and we've just sort of been like we don't really know yet but we're we're sorting it out we're going to try to make sure she's a great person we're going to teach her all these things and and hope for the best but 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 no i wouldn't say that that my wife or i are are really spiritual people i think that we are you know we we're 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 mindful of things we we try to be good people but we we wouldn't consider ourselves practicing any particular religion so here's how i distinct you know how i uh, differentiate between being spiritual or being religious so being spiritual would mean according to me it would mean that yeah. uh, you know accepting and accepting and acknowledging uh, a superior power you can hmm. call it a god or a you know spirit or universe or whatever and yeah. being religious would mean that you are following one particular principle on how to practice that spirituality mhm that makes sense yeah i i'd say you know based on that definition i don't know i i'd still probably say not particularly spiritual just not really believing in like you know a yeah, particular sure. power yeah thinking about it more in terms of like i don't know uh, a holistic way of the world coming together and and being many different factors in play that that's sort of my take on it but um but but no i i don't often think about it in in terms of of religion or or spirituality i just try to do what i think is is best every day and and you know i don't overthink too much of the the meaning behind it or the the spirituality behind it uh did you have any uh, issues with your mental health in the past like specific to some like anxiety or depression or anything like that and so okay, if you just want don't want to talk about it totally fine No no I mean I'm happy to speak about it and and I I haven't uh you know I okay. I feel like I've I've been at least for for me I I've found ways to sort of um you know balance my mental health and and again it's it's sort of been you know 
being outdoors in nature, be doing a, a lot of physical activity. Like those are the kind of things that kind of help my mental state. Like when I do have anxiety, when I do feel stressed out, you know, my, my typical th first thing I do is I, I go for a run. I go into the woods, I go surfing, I, I go skiing. Like I, I sort of get into nature and, and that's the time where I sort of feel that maybe at that point it is a little bit of a, a spiritual feeling but I, I do feel that mm. when when I'm in when I'm in nature and I think that that sort of balances my my mental health as as well as uh, spirituality and like that that's when I get those feelings so uh, recently uh, so when I was in my phase of depression or when I went through depression and first attack of anxiety in 2016 it pushed me to become an atheist I like lost all of faith and depression is again you know like not sadness it's like hopelessness like you, right right you're hopeless right so i was totally hopeless and i had like given up all faith uh, i used to be a like hardcore hindu before that mm -hmm. and um, so what happened for like one or two years i don't remember i was like a total atheist like an angry atheist right <laughs> and uh, what happened uh, like again some transitions happened over certain few weeks or few months uh, I, I discovered this concept of spirituality and, you know, like, again, differentiating it from a religion because I yep. started kind of, you know, like having negative feelings about whenever somebody mentioned, you know, religion, particular principles yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I believed, you know, like there is some higher power backing me up and that kind of stuff. So I was mentioning that, uh, you know, I became familiar with this concept of spirituality. I started reading a lot of stuff around spirituality and only like, one and one and a half year i started reading it even with more intensity like i studied uh, textbooks of uh, buddhism and mm -hmm. i started studying more about spirituality or you know like modern spiritual teachers who are wearing right. shorts and sitting in the middle of la so <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's an interesting stuff that i realized that you know a lot of people use these words interchangeably god right. universe spirit nature love yeah huh and a lot of and uh, why i'm mentioning this because just like a couple of days ago i mentioned i wrote about it on i don't linkedin obviously uh that for me spirituality means shifting back to love hmm. or reconnecting with love so then yeah. again spirituality for you might mean going with nature yeah that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that. And and again, it's 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 something that that does sort of change throughout life. And and I've I just feel like for me, like that that experience with nature has has changed for me. And sort of thinking about those other words that you used, like yeah, getting back to now, you know, being a dad, my idea of, of love sort of changes and like that comes into the spirituality part of it a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I think that I know that just even when you think about getting out into nature when I was younger, I would think about it more of like the, the physical act of it, right? And it's like, when I would go skiing, I would be like, I gotta go as fast as I can. I wanna do as much as I can. And I want it to be, feel really extreme. And, and, and I, as I've gotten older, it's like, everything just sort of slows down for me now in nature, where I just feel like I'm a lot more slow and methodical, whether I'm walking or skiing or swimming or whatever it is. My, my pace has changed a lot in nature and I'm a little bit more aware of it than I was when I was younger. And I, I assume that, that those things are gonna change again as I get older and I'm gonna see those changes in, in some of those other aspects that you mentioned. And another part that I 
think and I haven't written about it yet, so it just keep pops up in my head right now. So another uh, interchangeable word could be reconnecting to your values. So yeah. everybody have different values, and uh, yours seems to be love for nature. Yeah, you know yeah. one of the top Absolutely. three or four or five values maybe. Yeah, it would for be. me. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I I have a value of gratitude. Like I'm genuinely a thankful person. Like I turned out to be after you know like my phase of depression and stuff. Yeah. But uh, so this is you know like kind of my topmost value, topmost three values like gratitude and curiosity, and spiritual spirituality for me would mean going back to those values again and again or reconnecting with those values. Mm-hmm. And I guess after this conversation, when you go back to nature, <laughs> you'll feel the you know you'll feel it a little different when you reconnect with nature again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think it's 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 just one of those things where the the nature feels different based on what's going on in your life, and and I can I can think back to like certain times when you know things have been going on in my life where that nature just played that different role for me and. And yeah, I think now it's like you can't you can't sort of take it for granted. You have to just appreciate every time. And uh, as you know, as life gets busy and you don't get as much time to sort of appreciate those things, you, you just need to make time for them. Especially yeah, if if they are part of your values, which I would consider that to be, you have to make time for them and, and appreciate them. And is it okay if I talk a little more about spirituality? Yeah, we could talk more about it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So uh, here's something that I was thinking. You know, like today only in the morning that uh, so the part where spirituality is most misunderstood is that there's a higher power who has written a script and just a character in that movie yeah i'm just you know like taking shots and i'm just following that script and the more i read about spirituality the more i discover that it it's not that you are doing something written by somebody else it's it's rather that you are at any given point co-creating your reality. Mm. Mm-hmm. So likewise, you know, you are a coach. You you know this uh, in a really great way that I'm not creating destiny of my client, or my coach is not creating destiny of me. You know, or my world. Sure. But we are in this together, and we are like co-creating it at any given point. Yeah. And. I should write about it in detail. And I believe the whole purpose of doing everything in spirituality or spiritual practices, like meditation or praying and all that kind of stuff is like, again, connecting back to love, nature, or Mm -hmm. your particular values that you have. Interesting. Uh, Sure. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) let's switch back to uh, you. What do you think? Where is your career heading, or what are your plans, like ten years from now, or stuff like that? Again, obviously, this is not a job interview, so don't tell yeah. me the pinpoint plans. <laughs> but just, yeah. just curious about, you know, like what do you want to do in life? Yeah, I think that for me, it's career. It's it's important, but I've kind of learned certain things about myself, you know definitely in the last two years of, of, of having a child and of working in a pandemic and and you know I, i've learned a lot but i, I just think that it, it's all about balance for me like I, I i realize that i don't necessarily have the 
I won't say it's not like motivation or not, not drive, but I, I'm not interested in a lot of, uh, you know, career sort of accolades. I don't really need the prestige. I think that it's sort of the, the, the right term that, that comes with a lot mm -hmm. of this. It's, you know, not, not a huge interest to sort of like climb a corporate ladder or to like work my way up a company. And this is something that, you know, I, my, my wife and I are very different with this. Like, I'm not saying that she has all of those, those things, but, but she has a little bit more of a drive for that of, of like wanting to accomplish certain things in certain companies. And for me, it's, it's beginning to be more about, you know, not necessarily just working for myself and, and doing everything for me, but, but finding the right opportunities that, that fit my work-life balance and that sort of, you know, scratch my itch. Like I mentioned with, with the coaching, like to me, I, throughout my career, I've always really thrived on having like multiple dimensions of what I do. And it sounds like you're probably pretty similar, but it's, it's like, it's, I hate the idea of doing the same thing day in and day out. I, I really do appreciate the, the idea of like, well, today I'm going to wear this hat and today I'm going to do this. And, and my most sort of fulfilling uh, career moments have been, and most of them have been in like traditional companies, but where I've been able to do several things like, you know, within my, my parameters, I wasn't defined by a, a job description and I, I wasn't really, you know, just focused on one area. So I, I like variety. I, I want to be able to, to help people in different ways. And I'm not too concerned about like specific job titles or, uh, you know, the prestige or accolades that come with working in certain companies. So those are the things that, that I know. And, you know, in terms of like, well, what is your job going to be in 10 years? I don't know that. Like, I, I, I'm super excited about the, the future of work. And I, I love that. Like, that's something that I've always been really interested in, whether it's more remote work or digital work, or just like what work even looks like, like that fascinates me to no end. So I'm, I'm eager to kind of ride that wave and see like where this goes and like what what work's going to look like in 10 years. So that's 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 my long winded answer of like, you know, not really knowing specifically yet, but I love the idea of the unknown. And I, I really can relate to that phrase that I have an itch that I need to scratch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if, if you would have asked me this question, I would have answered the same thing that I don't even, so right now I'm like, I have a marketing project on site that I'm working, but otherwise like 95% of my time goes into being a full-time life coach. Mm -hmm. And I'm still not sure that I'll be the same thing five years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I get those itches that I need to scratch this and I need to see what's behind that curtain or what, what, how would it feel like, you know, if I become this or if I become that. Yeah. And yeah. one thing that I see different that I'm doing different from you currently is I, in my corporate life earlier, I realized that I'm not meant to be a corporate person. I just cannot do it. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. not really good at taking orders. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, I rather be I, I rather be a freelancer or a consultant mm -hmm. or you know like something around that where I'm like independent in what I'm doing. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. But, and and I've I've sort of I've dealt with that same that same idea and that same predicament. And I think I don't know. I, I try to figure out. It's like that word corporate is really. It's like a loaded word, right? It's like. Yeah. Do I not want to work in like a stuffy office space that has thousands of employees? Or do I literally just don't want to work for any type of like 
formal company. Like, I don't know, because I think that especially most of my work has been in, in startups and like by no means would they be considered like corporate entities, but they're still companies that have certain hierarchy and there's still, and especially as startups grow, like I've always felt that there's a sweet spot in companies. And for me personally, it's usually working at companies that are like less than a hundred people. You know, I think that if it's like 10 people, it's a little bit different, but that sort of in between, like before it becomes a huge company, like a hundred people feels like a good group that you still feel united with. Um, and, and yeah, so just recently, my wife and I were discussing this where she says like she wants her next job to be in like a big company with like thousands of employees, like multiple offices around the world. And that idea like scares the hell out of me. I was like, no, I would not want that. Um, but but yeah, so it's it's not as simple as like corporate job yeah. or freelancing. Like I, I, there's like so many gray areas now. And like in five years from now, there's going to be so many more shades of like what a company is, right? So exactly the point. So I... I'm trying my best not to put myself in a black spot, like, you know, like, this is who I will be. Yeah. But I'm kind of getting aware, like, you know what, these are the areas where I don't like, you know, to like doing my job and stuff like that. Uh, but that brings me to the question, what is something that you're really crazy to try out, like in the next few months or few years? Something that I want to try out just for myself or business or anything? Whatever comes to your mind. Um, man. Uh, uh, the one that kind of comes to my mind is like, you know, talking about about parenting and and like what, like, I don't want to phrase this as sort of like an experiment with my child, but I'm like curious <laughs> about, about like what, basically what about like education is going to look like she, for my daughter. She's going to watch this. She's going to watch this interview a few years later. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> uh, no, but like, it, 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 in some ways, it's sort of like an experiment in, in how you, you, you raise a child. And, and the, I guess this comes to the, the question that, I, that I've been asking is like, well, what will, like, what will our careers look like in 10 years? And what will, what will education look like in 10 years, you know, for my daughter? Like, what kind of school will she go to? Like, what, it, it's sort of, um, the, the experiment kind of comes from those questions of like, looking into the future and just being unsure of where, what things are going to look like. And so, yeah, so to answer that question, I think it's like, it's the experiment of, of what is that like, you know, balance of, of work and life. It's, I just don't see it where it's like, I'm taking my daughter to a traditional school, like dropping her off in the morning. I'm going off to a traditional job. I'm working from nine to five and I'm coming home and then I'm picking her up. Like, I just, I feel like it's going to be something more, uh, yeah, it's like, it's going to be something a little bit more fluid. And, and I just think that there'll be more you know, whether it's working from home, working remotely or, or helping do some like homeschooling for my daughter and like helping teach her a lot of these skills. So I don't know, I, that's just the first thing that kind of came to my mind is it's, it's sort of an experiment in lifestyle design, right? I think that's like the way to look at it, where from whether it's our, our parents or generations in the past, it was like, there's a certain way that your life kind of Kind of leads right it's like you go to work for these hours your child goes to school for these hours whatever it might be um but but this is yeah. sort of an experiment i think that's going to change and i'm kind of looking forward to that experiment in the next couple of years so here's a scary and scary thought that i had just because i said it out loud <laughs> what will your daughter <laughs> think of this interview <laughs> because you are 
kind of really involved in this creator economy being a content creator yeah. it it is a really scary thought for me because i have so many embarrassing stories that i have written online <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i cannot tell you how many stories i have written online stories are the personal incidents that have happened with me you know like how sure. somebody has dumped me and yeah. yeah based on the kind of person i was multiple people have dumped me obviously i deserve that at that moment <laughs> then again <laughs> having the thought that my kids will <laughs> watch that or read that it's scary uh, yeah <laughs> it is scary what have it i done <laughs> yes and i agree like i i think that we all have probably embarrassing things online of us but it's sort of it's become what 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 modern society is right now and you know what i i think that but but then people younger than me who've kind of grown up with the internet from from day one like they're going to have even more embarrassing things like some of my most embarrassing things hopefully were were before people were posting all of the stuff online but but yeah it's like it's scary to think about the future and and our kids and you know just how much of their life is going to be digital and you know virtual or you know I, it, there's so many different ways to look at it but i, I don't know it, it's scary that's that's sort of why i hope people can can figure this out like to tie it back to some of the, the coaching conversations like figuring out like your relationships with technology like you know like trying to to, to be more mindful and, and have intention with your devices and hopefully this next generation of, of kids has a little bit more of that and and I, i'm sure that i'm going to struggle more with that as my daughter grows and trying to control her device usage and who knows what what sort of strange things she'll do on the internet but but that that's like a a concern of mine but also like a i guess like a, an optimistic challenge that i i want to overcome whether it's for my own family or for just you know people in general like how how can they be better equipped because this technology is coming whether we like it or not like we just we just need to be ready for it we need to train our brains to use it properly and it's it's a scary thought to to think like if if we're not ready for it how it's going to impact our society so i'm a writer <laughs> i write online and what i write is mostly about the personal incidents that i've yeah. had that includes a lot of deeply vulnerable and embarrassing stories sure and i don't know how now how am i going to sleep tonight after having this thought <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no. you know you know like here's the deal so <laughs> how i've been writing so far is like imagining that how a stranger would meet me after reading my content like yep. he or she or they will know me better before even talking to me personally sure. they'll be able to relate it but i haven't thought about how my in-laws will react to it yeah 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 that is or scary. how my goodness where are we going like within this conversation i, I like let's <laughs> let's not go there let's not go there happy thoughts happy thoughts <laughs> yes happy thoughts happy thoughts <laughs> so as a content creator uh What what do you like really creating the most like videos, text, or some platform specific, yeah. specific thing? Well, see, this is a a good question because it's like what what do I personally like to create? Like me personally, if it's just me, like coming out of my brain, I prefer writing. I, I really do. I, I like writing on Medium. I, I I like to just sort of blog, just let the words kind of tell the story. But most mm-hmm. of my career has been more more video content creation. But I guess that that feeling of like sharing my thoughts and that vulnerability i feel much more comfortable doing that through writing 
And I feel like if I'm creating same. videos, yeah, same, yeah, right? It's you know, probably, it's right, probably pretty common, know, yeah. So writing that she dumps me is really easy, but getting on camera and yes. saying that, you know what, she dumps me is so yes. tough. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a struggle, I think, as a content creator to figure out that balance. And I think it's, and, you know, we have similar backgrounds, the idea of like content creator versus like content marketer. It's like marketing somebody else's content versus marketing your own yeah. content. It's a different thing. And I've struggled with that. You know, I think that uh, I, I, especially in like the early days of, of YouTube and a lot of like the, the, you know, the early days of social media that was coming out, I was really interested in it, wanting to be a part of it. But I felt like I just didn't want to share that much of my own thoughts like I, I I like the sort of frivolity of it it's like it's there's a novelty to it I, I like the idea of sharing other people's uh, materials or helping people create you know branded content for them but yeah. for me personally yeah I I'm, I'm starting to see more and more that I, I consider myself to be a little bit more of a writer and and I, I'm more you know confident in that and I feel like it's just more cathartic for me to, to write things versus to just put myself on on video and just start talking <laughs> Makes sense. I can totally 100% relate to it. And just this year, I started this, you know, with this idea that uh, so I'm not a big podcast listener. I yeah. not even like not an audio person, not a video, not a video yeah. person. Mostly a text person. I love consuming text. I love creating text. So sure. what I usually do is uh, whenever I go to gym or whenever I'm traveling. So sometimes when I'm bored of music, so again I. I'm that rare person who really do not enjoy music a lot. I love music, but mm -hmm. not too much. So yeah, I'm not an audio person simply. So I listen podcasts here and there, like one or two episodes in a month, kind of that. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to this Joe Rogan's podcast and um, with Elon Musk first, and then with Nikki Glaser. And uh, I, I got that idea like, he's really having fun having those three hour conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't I do it? <laughs> and that's how, <laughs> that, that's how I started this, you know, like podcast and YouTube series. Like, I was like, let me, you know, it can be a really great opportunity to network with people, to build relationships. Sure. And, you know, then again, having free advice from experts. So yeah. I started this, I, I guess, three months ago only. And now that I'm doing this, it's been three months every week I'm doing this and it's been like you are probably 12th or 13th guest on my podcast in this interview series and so I'm building up that confidence that you know what I can get on camera Good. I can have that space I'm still not comfortable getting on video and saying that you know what she dumped me and because yeah, I was a yeah. person <laughs> but you know at least it's the progress and I'm mentioning all of this to say you know like I believe this is how a journey is supposed to be in anything that you ought to do. That is out right. of your comfort zone. Like you can never go from zero to one. It needs to be like 0 0.1 and maybe 0 0.15 and yep. so on. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I think in terms of like the, like building that muscle and like sort of practicing this, like I am, um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff on video. I, for a, a good part of my career I was on camera every day and I, I was talking about all sorts of things when that, that job that I mentioned at Creative Live when we were doing these educational broadcasts I was the one who was on camera like introducing all of our speakers and, and facilitating comments and things like that 
And, and I was able to do that. I liked to sort of, uh, you know, build that muscle of being on camera. But the, the trouble that I always had was, was once I had to talk about myself, I couldn't do it. It's like, I can talk about somebody else. I can do all this stuff. I can talk about a certain subject, but when it becomes more personal, that's when I do feel more comfortable with, with the writing aspect of it. And so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's feeling that discomfort and learning from it. And I, I think that I, we're all still doing that, right? And, and I think for me, I, I feel now, I mean, I used to not be able to even write about myself. I, I, I'm feeling a little bit better about that. Like that, that took some, some progress and some, some practice, but, um, but yeah, it, it's just, if you're creating content, it is such a vulnerable thing to, to create content based on personal experience, you know, versus like just writing about whatever subject, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I can spew out information about all sorts of subjects, but if you like, even on this interview, you asking me like personal questions, those are a fun, like uncomfortable feeling to deal with. So that's something that I, I, I understand now and it's a good muscle to build. And I believe, you know, like this is kind of a good first step to do in case of, you know, like yeah. creating any content because having yeah. conversations is relatively easier than, you know, like just looking at your face, recording a video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, yeah. Do you have a book in mind as writing a book? Um, I, I've thought about doing more of a uh, sort of a, a digital mindfulness book, like talking about you know, some of these things that I've coached people on and, and how to be, I guess, sort of how to be like an informed digital citizen, you know, like I mentioned the idea of, ah, of all this tech, all of this technology, right? Like the technology is coming and we just need to figure out how to, 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 to live with it. So that, I mean, that's been a concept that I, that I've toyed with the idea of, um, you know, I've done a few other like short form ebook contents in the past that, just never really felt like something I was super proud of. Like it, it felt like it was just accomplishing a, a goal maybe, or it was like, it was more of a marketing thing, right? But it wasn't something that I was super proud to like tell everybody to go read. It was like, I did this thing and it accomplished well, a goal, but so you know, I don't well, feel good was it, was it like, you know, when you were a kid and you learned all the alphabets, you were really happy at that moment and then you, went into the next standard and you realize you know like it's not something that to be proud of yeah i don't know it's like and i also think that the idea of like writing a book used to feel like such an accomplishment but now that term mm. is like so loose and you know not to like you know i think that any piece of content that you create and you're proud of is important and you should feel good about it but the idea of like you know, is this long enough? Is it detailed enough? Is it well-researched enough? Like those are the, the things that I sort of struggle with. And like, I love to write and I'd be happy to, to take on like a more formal endeavor like that, like to really write a book. But it's like the, it's the, that feeling of like, does it meet whatever people's criteria for a book, you know, like versus an ebook or a, like a small, you know, PDF, a pamphlet. So there's just so many different ways to kind of create content these days that, you know, maybe I'm not as concerned about creating this like large masterpiece anymore. <laughs> totally understand. And do you feel that you'll be a full-time life coach ever? Probably not. No, just because of my, the way that, that I, they oper I operate, I love variety. I love different things. I I feel like I've gotten really comfortable with this idea of like, I don't know, I guess there are a lot of 
different terms for it, but people call it like a the 10% entrepreneur or like people having like these side incomes. And I like the yeah. idea of still having, you know, a, a more or less full-time job that is, that is like my main focus. And I think that it gives it allows me the space to get creative yeah. and, and to, to work on some of these other things. Um, I, I, the, the way I think about it and I tell you know, young people starting their careers, but, you know, even more established people, I, I don't believe in finding one job that's going to fulfill all of my, mm. my needs. And, and maybe that's just me. I know that plenty of people can find their job that really fulfills them, but I just always feel like I've had jobs that I loved. I've had jobs that were satisfying, but I never felt like they gave me everything that I needed. And I think it's, it's sort of, my responsibility to go seek out the, the the gaps that the main job's not filling. Like, I don't think it's something where you have to like quit a job, start a new job and hope that new job is gonna fill all those things. It's, yeah. I think it's on yeah. you to go and whether it's the creative side of it or uh, just like a certain, you know, like we said, like that, that itch that needs to be scratched. I just personally think for me, I don't know that there is like one job that's ever gonna do that for me. I could be wrong, but I, I don't necessarily see uh, full-time coaching doing that for me, but, but who knows, maybe. So, uh, you know, like how I see is one uh, career or one job or something that might not do everything for you, but that may do most of the things for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. I have seen people giving the same advice in dating world. Sure. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's you know like do not expect one person to fulfill all of your needs. You have yes. your mom, you have your dad, so let yeah. them be your parent. <laughs> yeah. You have a romantic partner, do not expect your romantic partner to be your mom or your dad or you know, like that kind of stuff. That's a good point. And, right, and like just be really full, you know, like you mentioned the first part, like be aware of, you know, what am I doing in my life? And yeah. you know, what is, uh, where is everything going wrong? And why I feel being single is kind of a must step in between multiple relationships is because it can give you enough space to think that where are you going wrong yep mm -hmm. and not yeah. just putting blame on everybody else i mean there, there's probably a lot of these connections right between career and, and dating world it's it's funny that you, i never really thought about it that way but yeah it's like having that space i think between jobs and between relationships to appreciate what was good and bad about your previous yeah. job or relationship that's just going to make you better equipped to find your next job or relationship. So I think that that's really good advice. Because um, I really see this point because of one of the coaches that I've worked with. And so she kind of gave me, you know, like a self-reflection kind of a session. And we discussed mm -hmm. what are my non-negotiables in work. Mm -hmm. Like at that point, I was thinking of maybe switching a job. So we discussed that the, the, these, you know, these three points are my non-negotiables in a job. Like, for example, uh, I just cannot work under someone who shouts or who is loud. Yeah. Yep. Like that, that's my personal thing. Like personal, uh, not insecurity, the but yeah. There's just personal trigger that when somebody is even a little bit loud to me, I just completely shut off. Like my yeah, brain yeah, stops yeah. working. So that's like a big, you know, like a big no, that that's a non-negotiable. I cannot work with somebody. So, you know, like I made a list of a couple of things that I need this. 
and now i see how i am approaching my relationships it's, it's like the same thing that you know like that distance yeah. part is one of the non negotiable like i don't think yeah. i can work it that way again if i don't find anything with these limitations let me try out something else but for mm-hmm. now let me try and stick to these things for next six months or so and that's what i discussed with my coach that let me put out these non negotiable for in the world for next six months if i don't find a job with these conditions let me lose out a little bit yeah i like that no that's a good way of looking at it and it's it's a healthy exercise for us to just be honest with ourselves and write down those things and say like yeah this is a you know non-negotiable or nice to have or ideal situation would be this i think the more we can write down those things in our career in our personal life in our relationships like that's going to be super helpful totally and uh, so before we move you know like before we uh, end this conversation uh, or you know like say goodbye for this at least point yeah what do you think we would have missed talking about or you would want to talk more about oh man um i don't know i think we we kind of covered everything that that i was looking to, to touch on i mean i think i could always speak more about technology and the future and kind of just where things are going like that that, that kind of is a a space that i could talk about forever um but but yeah and i guess just the idea of the the future of of education and the future of work is something that is uh is is very fascinating to me but but so yeah i think we covered the, a lot talk to me about the technology of dating which i'm really interested in that zone at least at this moment yeah there <laughs> so, uh, is technology leading this dating world uh, that's that's man that that's hard to say i mean i'll, I'll be honest and and i was really able to Uh, avoid a lot of the tech dating scenes since I was in a relationship before a lot of the the new uh technology has come out but but what I see is more yeah and I I joke about this and it's a fun joke that's becoming all too serious about you know my 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 daughter and as she grows up like what are her relationships going to look like and we say things like I don't know like is she going to have robot boyfriends or girlfriends and are there going to be like AIs kind of controlling uh the people that she's interacting with and i think that some of that is scary but true um i i do think that the lines are going to get blurry between you know our our human interactions and our artificial intelligence interactions and um you know in the dating world i'd like to think there's still going to be a level of humanity and uh you know that 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 real interaction with with folks but but yeah like i think that there's a way for whether it's a, an app or a dating website or whatever the technology itself is there's going to be a way for them to you know have more intelligence to be able to predict compatibility like that's been happening for a while but i think it's going to come to this next level where they can sort of whether they're anticipating certain conversations or the personality traits that they know that you will need at different like different parts of your relationship journey. I just think it's going to get so curated might be the word, but I'm I'm curious to see like how specific that gets and what that feels like. It could be great for people looking to find mates or it could be terrifying. And I think there's going to be a little bit of both, right? But as they sort of as they sort of figure out that technology, I think there will be highs and lows where it's going to be amazing for for people who are single and it's going to be terrifying as well. So here's something a little embarrassing and <laughs> funny that i have done uh 1.5 years ago 
yeah in 2019 november <laughs> i launched my last ebook so it was like a really small ebook and again just because i wanted to try out different marketing strategies and stuff yeah so i packaged one big you know like 3 4000 word article into a, an ebook and mm-hmm. at that moment i was also trying tender and mm-hmm. i in my pre launch i sold four copies on tender hmm. wow that's amazing <laughs> i mean what, what was your strategy like how how did you how did you go about it so here's the thing you know like so my book was about you know art of forgiveness Mm-hmm. which is like which is kind of a burning point for anybody who is on dating app that's yeah. true yeah yeah and <laughs> so the conversation would go really smooth that uh, you know if i get any match the girl would ask like how are you what are you doing or you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i'll say yeah i'm just preparing for my book launch this weekend mm. and then she'll buy it and she'll kind of <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. That's hey, it's a good marketer, but also just a savvy, you know, move if you're trying to get to know someone. That's really good. And that kind of gave me an idea like, you know, like if I'm creating this kind of stuff and then again, you know, like my audience has been, you know, like I create that kind of content that I attract those people around me. So why not? It it's like again, I'm not using anything <laughs> illegal or stuff like yeah. that. it's not unethical i'm not pushing it you know like please buy my book and that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's just that meeting where people are right you know like changing the yeah. equations at the top of the funnel like you know instead of yeah. promoting it on instagram i rather do it on tinder but uh, yeah so <laughs> anyway that was a tangent <laughs> uh, <laughs> what i'm really interested in right now is so a plus point of technology is you can connect with anyone yeah the negative point of technology is anyone can contact with you or anyone can connect yeah. with you yeah and so what i have seen what i have seen in my experience there has been a lot of creepiness from single people mostly sure. guys but in general yeah. <laughs> you know there has been a lot of creepiness an interesting that I, thing that i found recently and although it should be in education now but it's not because you know when our textbooks were made it was not a digital era right mm-hmm. so there was a so it's funny how a lot of my education is coming from tiktok videos but <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know a lot of stereotypes about gay people about you know different mental health issues about what autism is based on educational videos on tiktok i don't hmm. know how but then again obviously i'm not trusting it 100% but it's giving me some insight i'm taking it with a pinch of salt but at the same time it's giving me insight and this is really good i i know that you can add some value to it so how to communicate you know with the person or with your potential partner on any social media so you know like texting them that hey i really like this picture of yours can i offer you can i give you a little flirty comment hmm oh that's interesting yeah. you know the, the the worst they can say is no i'm not comfortable totally fine 
but, think. Yeah, that's totally fine. And I think that the idea of asking them, like that's sort of the the hurdle that we need to to overcome, right? Like that still feel, and I don't know, maybe I'm I'm sort of out of that space, but is I mean that's not typical, right? To sort of like ask that permission, and I feel like it sort of should be. Right. And, and how do we make that a little bit more of a socially acceptable way? Like, yeah, just because you're on social media doesn't mean that you are open to all types of interaction on social media. And, you know, we could always say that the companies like TikTok, Instagram, whatever, like we can always say that they should do that, but we know they're not going to. Right. So we, we need to figure out personally how to control those interactions and whether it's like the way you described it or if it's something you know, where, where people say like, here, here's what I'm comfortable with. And that is posted somewhere and, and people understand, like, I don't know, there's probably a couple of ways to go about it, but it is another type of, it's a conversation that we're going to have to have, right? Because this is just going to keep going in that direction and we need to address it. So the whole point of, you know, the point I was trying to make is that earlier we used to teach the kids or, you know, in our education that, you know, like, Whenever you need to talk to someone, say, excuse me, and then, you know, like yeah. give them your hand and shake the hands with them, right? That was right. the basic etiquette in offline world. <laughs> yeah. But we are moving on to now online world and it's kind yes. of become necessary to educate how to communicate in online world. Yeah. And just, you know, like dropping by. You, so a lot of things because you cannot talk to 100 people in offline world every day yeah but you can do that in <laughs> online world. yeah <laughs> that's so true that's true yeah i mean our, our honestly our whole our whole etiquette system it, it has been changing but it's only going to continue to evolve and i think that there are yeah whether it's through through video and again i think that more of it is going to going to change even more when we are doing things that are more like AI based or VR based or anything where you're like controlling a particular avatar or something in a virtual world, yeah. a whole new, a whole new like set of, of etiquette rules are going to apply to that, that new world. So it's, it's like, it's almost like reinventing, like typically in real life society and etiquette, maybe that would get updated every, I don't know, 50 years, you would see like a, a significant change in the way that people I, interacted. I, maybe, maybe even more than that, but, I, but I don't now, think it, it needs to be in the 50 years because, uh, so you see the technology is advancing in an exponential thing. So what was yeah. needed in the gap yes. of 50 years, hundred years ago, it's now yeah. needed every five years or every 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think in terms of like the way that people interacted 50 years ago in real life, like, you know, hugs and handshakes and high fives and things like that, like they evolve. Right. And, and those, those things, like the, the digital versions of those are evolving. And, you know, we, we even think now about like the way that people are going to interact in person in sort of a post pandemic world and what that looks like and yeah. how that's going to change. I mean, I think some of that is going to find its way into the virtual world as well. And, and just kind of knowing like what is a, a proper greeting in this, you know, this environment. And so, yeah, th those rules are getting rewritten now. I don't know, every couple of months when it used to be something you would think about years or decades to, to re reassess. Totally. So thank you so much for your validation in that. And I haven't discussed this etiquette thing with somebody else and I need to invite a relationship coach on my interview series yeah about this. yeah yeah <laughs>
So I know that fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll make sure to send you a link when I do. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for uh, being here. I know that uh, you have some parenting thing to do. It's early in the morning <laughs> in your side. I don't even yeah. remember when I saw 8am in my world. I don't remember. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh <laughs> man, yeah. I mean, it's part of it's part of being a dad and and having a dog that needs to go on early morning walks. So I'm no I'm no stranger to this hour, but sometimes it's a little tough to to get the brain moving and have these conversations this early. But I, I appreciate doing it. So thank you so much, and I hope to invite you again sometime really soon. And till then, I'll see you again. Bye bye. Thanks, Dipanchi. Bye bye.